the, the question, what's in it for me, sounds like an awfully selfish, <clears throat> selfish question. But as, as I have been thinking with us about all of this stuff related to the, the reason for Jesus coming and for his, his life, his death, his resurrection, and so on, and, and the simple answer to the question why being because God so loved the world, it has, it has just impressed me more and more that that love of God is personal and intense. So my, my growing up was in an Irish family where um, everything was performance. You got 90 percent on that exam. Why, where were the other 10 marks? Um, you scored you know, one goal in that soccer game, could you not have done a bit more than that? And for me, love was conditional. Um, it was conditioned upon my performance. If I did well, I could be loved. If I didn't do well, I'm not sure that I could be loved. And so I think in my theology, there has, there has lingered this, um, but not you. Thing, right, So the but not you means all of this is true, but not about you. God loves everybody, but not you. At least he does love you, but y you can't just do whatever you want. You have to do what he wants you to do. And when you do what he wants you to do, then you can know that he loves you. And I am just getting more and more convinced that the truth is that God loves us because of who he is. I always knew that. But I don't think I really grasped it, that it's not anything at all about me. It's because of who God is, and God is overcome with his love for us. One by one, family by family, city by city, country by country, and all of that. God so loved the world that he, he gave his son and all of the rest of that. So the question would have been abhorrent to me to say what's in the resurrection for me. Because I would say that's, that's not an appropriate question to ask. But when I look at the stories of the, the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus, it seems to me that he made three appointments with individuals to show them by his resurrection power and presence his love for them. And I think that they are in some way symbolic of all of us. Um, but it's almost as though, again, in the, in the back room of heaven, Jesus said, okay, as far as the calendar con is concerned, when, when we get through with the, res the, the death and the burial and the resurrection, I have three appointments that I must, I must meet. I want to meet Mary, I want to meet Thomas, and I want to meet Peter. And it, it was like in the cosmic calendar, those meetings were nailed down. And when I read what happened in the accounts of Jesus having his appointment with Mary and Thomas and Peter, it shows me that he knew each of them and it was as though the whole universe basically fled. His death was for them, for Mary and for Thomas and for Peter. And his death is as surely for Ken and Lorne, as it is for all of us, as it is for the whole world. Because the love of God is so enormous 
that it is both universal and personal. And I think a demonstration of that was Jesus not only appearing you know, to big crowds, but saying, I have to meet Mary, I have to meet Thomas, and I have to meet Peter. Because if we think about their stories, I think the way that Jesus met them with his risen power is really encouraging to us. So let me just bring you to three verses um, that say, tell us what happened in the meeting of those three. So the first one is this. Mary's the only one left at the, at the grave. Um, and they, they don't know what's going on. They've looked in, and they see that there are some grave clothes there, but Jesus is not there. And there's a kind of a, a movement, and, and Mary turns around, and there's a person there, and she thinks it's the gardener. So she says, if, if, he, if you have taken my Lord, tell me where you have laid him, and I will come and take the body and prepare it and, and bury it. And here's what it says. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Who was Mary? She was Mary Magdalene. And what was it like to be Mary? What it was like to be Mary when Jesus died was that she was utterly, utterly broken and empty. She was weary and worn. She had given her life to follow Jesus because he was kind to her. He forgave her. And uh, even though she was a despised and, and avoided woman, she followed him. And, and some of the history now tells us that she was probably one of his financial su um, um, supporters. And she spent her life with him, spent her life for him. And by the, by the time Jesus died, she was just tired out and had nothing left. She was empty. And Jesus, back in the back room of heaven, said, before we go to press with this, I have an appointment with Mary because she needs to know that I'm still alive or that I'm alive again. She, she needs to experience my risen power because she will be so broken and so empty and so tired out. So she said, if, if you've taken him away, oh my goodness, this is even worse than it was. And he looks at her, and by what we see in, in the text, he, he called her Mary Miriam. He, he uses what, what must maybe have been his pet name for her. And it was only when he spoke her name that she realized who he was. And her eyes were opened, and, and she said, it's you, it's, it's my master, it's my teacher. And she, she must have latched onto him, and he said, don't hold on to me, I have to, have to go to the Father. But she went running to the disciples, energized, and said, I have seen the Master. There's, there's one kind of person that needs to know what's in it for them, and that's a person who is simply tired out from a life of devotion, maybe even Christian devotion, but a life of service, a life of giving herself or himself to everybody else. And if there is no truth in the story of the resurrection of Jesus, that person is Mary at the tomb with nothing left to give. Nowhere to turn. Nothing to draw from. Empty, sad, just desolate. 
And the resurrection power of Jesus answers the question, what's in it for me, by saying, I have an appointment with you. I want you to hear me say your name to tell you that I'm still here, that I still love you, and that it's not, it's not over. I think there's some Marys in here that maybe would say, I've, I've spent my life um, trying to be faithful, and I have nothing left to give. I am absolutely spent, and now I don't know what I believe. And I think for you, we need to say, Lord Jesus, will you come and by your risen power speak? Say the name of that guy, that lady. Just whisper it in his ear, in her ear with your resurrection power. Second one is a different kind of person. It's Thomas. And Thomas is like some of the rest of us where we're just not convinced. We're maybe burned. The things that we thought we knew, maybe we don't know we knew or know anymore. Um, there are many, many people who are Thomases who used to go to church, and they're just done. Like, no, no new program is going to make it for them, no nothing. It's like they've, you know, they, they read the, the popular books that say, it's all been proven now that none of this is true. And so they say, yeah, maybe it isn't even true. Um, and they're not about to be fooled another time. And they need a resurrection visit from Jesus that says, do you want to put your fingers in the nail prints and your hand on my side? You can. See, you know, Jesus didn't say to Mary, come on, Mary. And to Thomas, he didn't say, how dare you? Thomas said, unless I see him, unless I can put my fingers in the nail prints and my hand in his side, I'm not going to believe. I'm sorry. So Jesus showed up and said, Thomas, do you want to? And Thomas is broken, not because he's convinced scientifically or empirically, but because the risen Savior in his power shows up and says, Thomas, I am alive. And if there are those here who say, you know what, I'm... I'm here, but I'm still not convinced. Or I'm here, but I still have so many questions. Then we need to say, it's, it's lovely that Jesus doesn't forbid the questions. He doesn't scold him for the questions. He says, you find it hard to believe? That's okay. Here I am. And we need to have the kind of conversations, and we keep on saying this with people, that says, it's okay to have questions. I had, I had a mentor many years ago, and I had, I had some really difficult questions about my faith. And I was a pastor already. So one day on an airplane, we were traveling back from speaking together, and I said to him, I have this question. He said, don't ever ask questions like that. I thought, wow. But, I mean, I, didn't, I did not know what to say next to him. Don't ever ask questions like that. Well, what was I to do with questions like those? And there have been a lot of times, I'm sure for many of you, where church has basically either quite plainly said or you think sort of subtly said, don't ask questions like that. You can ask whatever questions you want because God's not afraid of your questions. He's not afraid of my questions. He's not afraid of my doubts. His existence is not threatened by my questions or doubts. And Thomas was welcome 
Jesus did not scold him. He said, Thomas, here I am. But what Thomas needed was not only the evidence, but he needed the resurrected power, the risen Jesus, to speak to him. And finally, um, and this is a strange place to go with the story of Simon, but Simon had failed. I have lots of friends who failed. They failed at doing a job they were supposed to do, or they failed at being the person they were supposed to be, and they feel as though they're not welcome in the family. They're not welcome anymore because they messed up. And someone has said, the church is the only place where we shoot our, our wounded. So there are many people who have failed, who have, who have messed up. And Simon was one of them. And what I think about that is, it didn't surprise Jesus that Simon denied him. He knew that. He said about Judas, one of you is going to betray me. He, he knew as well. He said, all the rest of you are going to run away. And Simon said, come on, not me. But Simon failed. So Mary was a lovely, devoted person who was just tired out in her service and her devotion. Thomas was someone who was filled with questions and just couldn't get settled. But Simon was a follower who messed up and failed. He failed exactly as Jesus said he would. And so he goes back to the only thing he knows to do, which is fishing. And he, he doesn't know how to fish very well anymore either, which really sucked. I'm going fishing. Okay. Next morning, Jesus says, hi, have you caught some fish? <sighs> Don't ask. Well, I have some. I've got them frying on the shore here. Come on. Come on. And Simon is like, he's, he's daring to think there might be something positive, but he, he doesn't know. So after breakfast, sure enough, Jesus eyeballs Simon across the fire, and he says, Simon, do you love me more than they do? Because you said you did. And Simon just basically shrinks. But that's familiar, but what, what happens at the end in this verse is, is fascinating. When, when Simon hears Jesus say, you feed my sheep, shepherd my sheep, take care of my lambs, you do what you're told to do on the basis of your love for me, because that's all I want to know. Do you love me? Not, can you do this? Can, do you love me? Even at that, as they're leaving, Simon is still smarting from having messed up. And he notices John. And he says, what about him? Um, what's going to happen to him? And Jesus says, hey, if I decide to let him live until I come back again, what's that to you? You follow me. And then there was this conjecture that started that John was going to live and live until um, the coming of Jesus, and that, was, that wasn't the point. Jesus said, never mind him. How about you? Will you follow me? Because that's all I want to know. Do you love me and will you follow me? Not, will you do it right? Will you do it well? You know that if you mess up, you can be forgiven. That's not the point. Never mind anybody else. You just follow me. So there may be some of us who've messed up, and what we need to hear from the risen Jesus is, never mind anybody else, ne never mind what happened, just, will you follow me? And that's what the risen Christ would whisper in your ear. So maybe we're not all one of those, but maybe some of us are. Maybe there's a Mary who's just tired out. Maybe there's a Thomas who's still struggling with questions, and maybe there's a Simon who messed up. 
All three of them need to open their ears to the whisper of the risen Christ who says it's all different now. Here's what's in it for you. It's all different. I'm here. Father, we pray that you, by your spirit, will speak your son's voice into our ears. And whatever we might need to hear from you, we pray, Father, that we will, knowing that it, for us, is about the risen Christ, knowing us, loving us, and speaking to us about where we are and how it's all different now because of what he has done.